it's a pre-digested food. And so when, when the digestive system receives something that is fermented or pre-digested, it's going to be a lot easier and less taxing on a digestive system that sometimes could have um, a pre-medical condition for some people, or if some people um, experience a sort of a, a, a medically diagnosed with celiacs or, or, or Crohn's and things like that, then, then consuming a, a fermented vegetable or, or the sauerkraut is really going to assist with that because it is pre-digested, very easy on the system. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. Today's episode is all about sauerkraut and kombucha. It's going to be an enjoyable and educational discussion with the owner of Herbs of Life, which is a company that I came across here in Australia after being a huge fan of their sauerkraut, which I buy locally. And so today I've invited Daniel to this episode to tell us all about the health benefits of sauerkraut and kombucha and how we might be able to enjoy those on a regular basis. How are you, Daniel? Very well, thank you, Clint. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, uh, let me first start by uh, explaining how this came about. We eat sauerkraut on a regular basis, my wife and I. The kids don't eat it yet, although the four-year-old has sampled it, and <laughs> she does a thumbinator where she rotates her thumbs like it's like a, you know, you don't know what, what's going to happen, and then she gives like <laughs> a, a rating with her thumbs. Sure. Um, yeah. And she, she gives it neutral. So she's neutral on sauerkraut at age four. Um, but I can assure you that by the time she uh, grows up a bit more, she'll be into your stuff because it's fantastic. We were buying the, uh, it was the turmeric and ginger sauerkraut from the local health food store. And my wife and I were looking at each other saying, this is the best sauerkraut we've <laughs> ever had in our life. And you've got those traditional things going on, like the piece of cabbage sitting on top. It When you crack open the jar, it makes that beautiful pop sound. Oh, and uh, just obviously the, the taste is a high priority as well, and it just tastes delicious. So congratulations on the products that you're making. And, you. um, and tell us briefly to start, uh, you know, how'd you, how'd you get into uh, this business? Oh, well... That was a, that's a bit of a story probably going back in 2008. Um, I, I was an engineer in a previous life and I was working in the US at the time. And um, while I was over there, I, I contracted some sort of um, stomach bug um, from eating a, a vast array of different foods uh, over there. And the medical doctors weren't much help. And, and, um, and so after circling a local whole food uh, store, in the little town I was living in, they had uh, kombucha on the shelf. Um, now, I've, I've heard of yogurt and sauerkraut, but I've never heard of, of, of kombucha. So I, I had my first bottle and it very much helped me and, and pretty much cleaned me out in a way. And when I got back to Australia in 2009, I wanted to continue drinking it and it wasn't available. So I began um, making it here. Um, so a few years on, 
through experimentation and sharing recipes and what we did, then then I was able to develop something and developed um, a sellable product with the with the kombucha. And those few years, a lot of research as well of what it is and and the benefits. But the the sauerkraut came into the picture probably it was around about 20, 2016, I believe. We found it quite natural, a natural complement to kombucha. And then we wanted to align ourselves as a fermentary, uh, a certified organic fermentary. So sauerkraut was just a very natural and easy progression to that. Our production manager is actually a chef by trade as well. And so we experimented with a few different recipes of sauerkraut and we wanted to be very traditional. As part of our ethics and our ethos to be certified organic, we also wanted to do handcrafted premium product and traditional. Our production manager knew that all along and, and his level of chef expertise really demonstrated to us what we wanted, basically our aim and objective. And, and he, he aligned with us very quickly and he's, he wanted that as well. So I said, well, look, let's, let's try something just with salt and cabbage and a few different herbs and spices and see how we go. The results are proof for themselves. They, they, it worked out really, really well. And, um, and earlier on, we had the decision of what methodology to use because you could do an in-jar ferment or you could do a barrel ferment. We chose to do the in-jar ferment, um, similar to a pot set yogurt. That's, that's what we do, a pot set sort of fermented sauerkraut. And, and so it all ferments with its own juices in that jar and then nothing is lost during the transfer process. We found that to be quite advantageous and of, and of great health benefit, of course. We didn't, it was like minimal touching of the product and no loss of nutrients or juices during transfer or you know, rejarring, packaging, et cetera. So we, we very liked that much like that idea and we did that from the start and it worked out really well. Um, so yeah, the sauerkraut has been in our journey since 2016. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and you've got quite a big reach now across Australia and I just want to say at this point, uh, if you're listening to this uh, outside of Australia, the information that we're about to share is still going to be highly valuable, even if you're not able to be fortunate enough to get hold of Herbs of Life's products because they don't ship internationally. I'm looking for a reaction no. from Daniel. No, 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 um, no not, not yet. Sorry. No, but uh, we're going to cover the sort of the general health benefits, the ways of preparation, the ways in which you can consume these products, frequency. Um, and so all this is going to be relevant wherever you are. Uh, so. Let's, let's go through those um, in any no particular order of priority. Let's start with this. Let's stay on the sauerkraut first of all. Let's say someone says, okay, um, you know, my digestion isn't so good. What are some of the health benefits from eating the sauerkraut? One of the main things that comes to mind is that it's, um, it's, it's a pre-digested food. And so when, when the digestive system receives something that is fermented or pre-digested, it's going to be a lot easier and less taxing on a digestive system that sometimes could have um, a pre-medical condition for some people, or if some people um, experience a sort of a, a, a medically diagnosed with celiacs or, or, or Crohn's and things like that, then then consuming a, a fermented vegetable or, or the sauerkraut is really going to assist with that because it is pre-digested, very easy on the system. It's not something unlike uh, grains. Grains can be can be very taxing because it's a very heavy food and the system needs to break it down into its all all its little essential components and actually create a sugar out of that and then you receive a, a sort of an insulin spike but when 
you're consuming a fermented vegetables, uh, specifically sauerkraut, the sugars are, are digested. Um, the, the fiber is, is somewhat digested as well. So you've got this food, which is a, a very, very simple carbohydrate, very easily digestible and, and very um, minimal inflammation or very well, pretty much no inflammation. It's, so it's that's, that's one of the main benefits. Yeah. It's a living food, isn't it? And you know, yeah. you mentioned pre-digestion, yeah. and uh, I know you may be trying to avoid any technical words to keep things simple, but um, we've spoken offline about the enzymes that are inside the food that are produced to uh, break down those foods. So, uh, you know, the, as you said, the carbohydrates become simple sugars. Furthermore, the fats become fatty acids, and the mm-hmm. and the proteins become amino acids, and so your body would otherwise do that work using specific enzymes to break down specific macro molecules. But when the food is presented in all of its micro components, it's immediately bioavailable. And so that's, yes. that, that's tremendous. Uh, talk about the bacteria. This is something that we all get excited about in our community. Uh, autoimmunity is, is really underpinned by an imbalance of our gut bacteria. And so tell us about What's going on when we consume sauerkraut? So, as a so sauerkraut during fermentation process, the the simple sugars of the cabbage are, are fermented along at the salt. The salt that's used is is the starter or the activator um, to to commence the fermentation. So you've got the natural yeasts on the vegetable that's fermenting with the natural sugars of the vegetable. That that level of fermentation, uh, lactic acid gets created. And that's why you get that slight vinegary sort of flavor. Mm. And that's the, that's the lactic acid in that, um, which, is, which is totally fine. But that is, in a way, that, that juice is a, a prebiotic. And so the, the stomach, it needs that. Our stomach, which is our, I think is our first line of defense and our immune system, that needs to run at, at almost like 100% hydrochloric acid in order to burn anything that comes in. When that tipping point is unbalanced, that acid alkaline, it throws the acid off and then your, your system, your stomach becomes very easily alkaline. So what the sauerkraut does, the juices, it very quickly um, re, uh, puts that acid back into the stomach. It's, it's an alkaline forming food, even though it's acidic tasting, but it, it very quickly balances out the stomach so the stomach can digest foods again. But then it's a probiotic as well because it is living. It has full of probiotic enzymes. And so it's actually going to put that beneficial bacteria back into the gut so that you can digest other foods as well as your immune system can, can thrive. So it, it, sauerkraut, in an essence, is both a pre- and a probiotic food. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Respect, yeah. And, the di- and um, I was trying to look at the research on this before we had our conversation, and it's not easy to pin this down. One of our audience members might have this data, um, but... Uh, what I was looking for is the sort of the, the specific strains of bacteria and the typical quantities of those bacteria present in, say, 100 grams of sauerkraut. And whilst the strains have, have tended to be studied and that information can be readily attained, the amount of bacteria varies wildly depending on how long it's fermented and I guess the way that it's put together and um, how much salt to use, I guess, and a few other variables. But the general consensus is that we've got a range of different bacteria that are healthy for humans being consumed with sauerkraut and that their quantity is very high. So those yeah. are the two things that we feel happy about when we think about sauerkraut. Um, 
Have you had customers uh, who have consumed the sauerkraut and come to you and say, uh, other than delicious, say that their digestion has improved or that they feel healthier? Yeah, 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 definitely. And so we've had a, quite a bit of feedback in the past. And then they've asked me why, why, why that's happened. So <laughs> I've explained to them, you know, not all sauerkraut is equal out there on the market. Um, do look for a raw sauerkraut and one that hasn't been, I guess, tainted with um, the aid of, of other uh, bacterias or, or probiotics or things like that. It's, it needs to be more of a natural, traditional ferment so that the, the cabbages can release everything um, possible. But I think that would, I would attribute that you know, to that factor that we, we just leave the salt in the cabbage to do its work for, for its uh, three to four week fermentation. And, and that would be the, probably partly the real, most of the reason why it would be um, all, the, all the bacteria. So yeah, we've had quite a few customers actually in the past. Yeah. Um, you've touched upon something that I'm, I'm really pleased you mentioned because it wasn't on my checklist here of things to, to bring up, but it's crucial. And that is the non sort of handmade or non locally made versions are often pasteurized, flash heated. Yes. Talk, talk about that because your average consumer of which, you know, in the, uh, I have been in the past made, made this mistake, have walked into a store, saw what appears to be a very healthy looking label on a sauerkraut thinking, oh, this thing looks like it's made by, you know, a hippie somewhere near the coast. And it's going to be definitely full of, you know, rich bacteria and enzymes. But then in the fine print, and sometimes not even on the bottle, especially in the United States, you don't know that thing's been heated to preserve yeah. its lifetime. What happens when we heat it? Well, the, the, the bacteria and the enzymes die, basically. So, and, then, and then the sugar content increases because you're, you're cooking the vegetable. Every time you... you you cook a vegetable or a fruit, the, the sugar content does increase versus of it being raw uh, or fermented. And so that's what happens. There ends up being no bacteria, no living enzymes, and you end up eating something that is high in fiber, sure, higher in sugar compared to if it was raw, and, and no probiotics. So I think in that sense, it's probably just the basic maybe vitamins and minerals, but without it being living. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, certainly defeats. It certainly defeats the main sort of exciting aspect of sauerkraut, at yeah, least yeah. in my view. You know, the taste is obviously much more enjoyable um, compared to just eating cabbage raw or even eating cabbage with a bit of salt. You, you, not many people want to do that, but when yeah. you add the, um, you know, when you combine it together and you add the fermentation, and then as you do in your company, add some beautiful combinations of flavors with for example the turmeric and the ginger which is our favorite our com favorite combination then it's it's so delicious and you feel so happy about the health benefits that you actually crave it yeah yeah well a good advantage of having those different combinations of um vegetables and spices is that we we ferment with those vegetables and spices so even the turmeric and the ginger is fermented with the cabbage so you're also getting a, ferment, a fermented benefit from a fermented ginger and fermented turmeric as well, uh, along with the fermented cabbage. But yeah, I, I feel it's most important to always purchase a raw uh, product when it comes to sauerkraut. Uh, we've had our customers in the past, we've had actually both ends of the spectrum. We've had customers that are just buying it for the flavor and then they would, they would actually cook with it. 
and or put or, or, or put into the fry pan or something like that. And they like it like that. And that's that's also totally fine. It's it's what they would prefer or how they choose to eat. And we've had the other half of our customers that are actually buying it for its probiotic and enzyme spectrum. And they're like, no, no, we want we want that and I want to eat it raw and put it in salads and have it with um, you know, dehydrated crackers and things like that. So and yeah, so I don't know, it's it's up to the customer, it's up to your taste, and we get we get all sorts. <laughs> Yeah. Let's now just, um, before we wrap up on the sauerkraut, can you give us the sort of things to look out for if we want to try and make this at home? Now, people can obviously go online and watch YouTube videos of people making sauerkraut. We're not trying to sort of create a substitute for that, which is going to be comprehensive. But let's just set the scene in someone's mind, what, what they might be in for if they do think, I wouldn't mind giving this a go at home just so that they can decide if they think that they should go and give it a shot. What should someone expect if they're going to go down this path? Oh, I, I think expect nothing because if you expect nothing, then, then you've got nothing to lose and then you won't be disappointed. <laughs> but, you know, as a rule of thumb, you know, you're, you're dealing with a, a fermented vegetable and so, so everything needs to be clean, of course. Even the room itself, if there's any other molds or, or, or anything else in the room, it, it can actually be attracted to whatever you have fermenting. So um, whatever vegetable you've got fermenting, the kraut, it can attract that and, and it can build a, le- a layer of mold on top. But, you know, learn from that and, under, and understand that. It's, it is a living food, so it, it needs to be treated with respect and kindness. And um, it's okay to make a mistake. It really is. We, we certainly had made mistakes. And then you just learn from that and, and move on and, and try something different. But but give it a go. It's it is very straightforward. It is time consuming, of course, but it is straightforward. And at one stage in, in our history, everybody did it. And yeah. it's and it's good to get your hands wet again. Yeah, that's so true. And we didn't go there. But um my daughter Angelina, I think she researched that sauerkraut originated in the in China or thereabouts, and then later developed its name from Europe. But it was originally practiced like in the, uh, the sort of the um, Asian region originally, before becoming more associated with Europe because of its what German-sounding name. Um, I'm taking a guess. Yeah. So yeah, yes. like even even around that sort of Siberia area and that sort of Central Asia or, or, or Western Asia, a lot of fermented foods that we see have originated around that sort of Siberian Mongolia area. And, and, and in fact, the Russians have had it for, for many, many years, probably even centuries before the, the West took it on. Mm, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, well, you know, it's, it's surviving the test of time because it, it's delicious. It's, was, it's a, a way of, of past uh, civilizations having food available in times when there wasn't food available because it keeps, doesn't it, by... Being able to Definitely. ferment the food, yeah. Then you've got to preserve your own natural preservative, and maybe not by today's standards, but certainly by historical standards, where you could maybe keep keep something for months as opposed to just days in the past. So, mm-hmm. look, if anyone's keen, uh, just jump online, go and uh, find a video of someone making inside rheumatoid support. We've got a couple of videos um, of uh, sauerkraut production, so uh, go check those out or ch- check different videos out on YouTube. So, Daniel, you've helped your own digestion with kombucha. Let's talk about kombucha next. 
yeah. something that I went through a phase with where I was drinking two or three a day, almost like it was, you know, a Coca-Cola addiction. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that it wasn't a healing strategy. It was, a, it was definitely an enjoyment strategy for me. And I think that um, we established offline as well that I might have been consuming one that uh, may have been flash heated the way that I've just warned everyone not to consume those. So let's rewind though first on kombucha. What is it? And um, and just describe you know how it's made and and why we might want to drink it. Yeah, I think simply put, kombucha is a fermented probiotic tea. If also someone up in those few yep. words that's that's basically what it is and it's fermented with a brew of sweetened green or black tea or you can use a combination of both traditionally sweetened with raw cane sugar that's the food source for the fermentation by the way it's not to alarm uh, any of the audience members that that you're drinking a sugary drink it's far from being a sugary drink but the sugar is there just as a food source the culture itself is is a it's a symbiotic colony of living bacteria and living yeasts. And they work, they live in harmony and they ferment simultaneously. It resembles something of a jellyfish without the tentacles, if you could picture that in mind's eye, but don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. It is actually uh, edible if you, if you are brave enough. But what it is, is it's, um, it's, it's somewhere between a lichen and a fungus. It's, it's not quite a plant, it's not an animal, but it's in this sort of fungus-lichen category. Um, that's essentially what it is in simple, in simple terminology, in common, common language. I mentioned about the, the bacteria uh, and the enzymes in this colony. So the first stage of the fermentation, um, what happens is, is that it, it uh, consumes the sugar and the oxygen. So kombucha, unlike, for example, unlike B1 and cider, that uses a dead yeast and it's an, it's an ethanol yeast. Uh, traditionally brewer's yeast or champagne yeast, depending if it's cider or wine or, or beer. And it's a dead yeast, and the whole objective of that, those drinks is to produce ethanol, and that's it. The, the sole objective of kombucha is to produce probiotics and digestible enzymes. It is a, it is a pre-digested food, just like sauerkraut, um, but the whole objective of the fermentation is to produce those probiotics and digestible enzymes. And so this colony works by consuming the sugar and and the oxygen coming in, so it's an it's an open uh, an open to atmospheric pressure vessel, and the oxygen comes in, it consumes that and consumes the sugar. The byproduct being ethanol and carbon dioxide, and then the enzymes uh, kick into gear and they consume the ethanol and transform them into probiotics. So, a traditional kombucha, or if you're making something at home, then it will always be very low ethanol. There's always trace amounts of ethanol with kombucha. That always happens with traditional fermentation. And in fact, even sauerkraut, even that has um, trace amounts of ethanol. It's very, very small, sometimes even too small to measure in comparison to kombucha. But um, any traditional wild fermented product uh, like, like a, a sauerkraut or a kombucha is going to have trace amounts of ethanol. Our kombucha typically comes in less than 1%, which meets the national standard of, of um, non-alcoholic beverage. And it's taken us um, years to get to that and develop the recipe to, to bring it under that 1% because it is a, a commercial product. So that's traditionally what it is and how it ferments. What to look out for, you know, you look out for something, first of all, that needs to be raw and not pasteurized uh, or, or cooked or, or homogenized in any sort of way. 
I always tell people, uh, one thing I advocate, if you're buying a kombucha, please do buy a craft kombucha, craft product, and look at the ingredients. There is quite a few brands out there, especially in the supermarkets and service stations. And some of these brands in supermarkets and service stations also exist in some health food stores. But always look at the ingredients because it's what's on the inside that's going to count, really. So if you're seeing ingredients that you can't even draw on a, on a paper and you don't know what it is, it's best to put it back on the shelf. <laughs> and these could be the artificial ingredients like the erythritol, the fermented glucose, the stevial glucosides and the stevial extracts, things like that where you might question, well, what is that? Can you, can you actually draw it on a piece of paper? If you can't draw it and you can't even picture it, then, then why does it belong in your mouth? Why, why are you consuming it? That's what I ask. So as a rule of thumb, eat real food. It's just that simple. So with kombucha, and to tell if it's a real kombucha, look at the ingredients. There needs to be fermented with the kombucha culture, a good water source, the organic cane sugar, and tea. That's it. Those four simple ingredients is what makes up a real good kombucha. We've got seven flavors in our range, so we like to also add a range of different fruits and spices to ours, create a variety and, and, uh, and other health benefits. The, the water is very, very important, I feel, because it, it's basically 90% water, this product. So you need to get the water source right. We, we use spring water, and it's sourced from the Blue Mountains, and it's on the western side of the Blue Mountains in the Walgan Valley. It's a very wonderful um, spring out there, and we purchased it through um, a company called Wild Walgan. And um, we've used spring water for many, many years now, probably even since the beginning. And a few reasons why we choose to use spring water is because, uh, first of all, um, so we're, we're a certified organic company and, and all our products are certified organic. Water is an ingredient that you can't certify organic because the, the organic agents and the body consider water to be um, mineral-based instead of carbon-based. They consider it to be from the clouds, not from the earth. And as a result, you can't certify water. We've been certified organic now for over five years. And, and my discussion with the auditor was, well, you're telling me that I could use certified organic inputs, but the water, I could just use tap water and I'll be still organic. And he said, well, technically, yes. And, that's what, that's what, and I, I wasn't happy with that. I don't consume tap water myself, but I wasn't happy with that um, because of also the chemicals that are put into tap water, the chlorine and the chloramine and the fluoride. So I said, look, I don't want that in my product. Um, if it's in the product, you're going to get a chemical fermentation. So I said, no, no, I'll go a step further and I'm just getting spring water where it's completely free of all those chemicals. And it just it's basically H2O with the, the mineral composition of, of a spring. And that way, I don't, I don't, we don't achieve a, a, a chemical fermented product. Our kombucha is a very clean tasting. It's, it's soft because it's, you know, you're without these chemicals that tap water typically has. What was the other question? <laughs> With that? no, that's brilliant. That, that covered everything that I was going to ask. Um, as you got into the warnings around the ingredients, um, I was yeah. just going to jump in and say, well, what are the ones to avoid? What are the ones that we should be looking for? And you covered yeah. that perfectly. It fascinated me that you said that you, didn't, um, you don't drink the tap water. Is that something that runs, uh, you know, in your family um, as well? Do you sort of follow this sort of approach? Um, I, I spoke to David Wolf many years ago, who's like a raw food advocate and sort of has a huge following online. He's fascinated about water. He, he said he has traveled the world looking for the cleanest water supplies. He's like a water nut, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but in a good way, lovely dude, and just mad about water. So 
Do you feel that this has um, played a role in your own health as well? Yeah, 100%. Uh, most of our body, what's inside of our body is water. And it is, in my opinion, it's incredibly important to look after that and, and nourish that and make sure that you're getting good water intake. And so although there are a lot of filters that you can buy out there to, to filter out um, tap water, one thing that I, uh, my research that I found, even if you were to, to go to the nth degree to, to, to filter out the, you know, town water or, or treated dam water as, as it is, and to, for it to be completely chemical free, treated water is considered dead water. It's a dead cell water. And it will not hydrate you the same way that spring water will, no matter how hard you try. And so we have evolved just like every animal and every other species on this planet to consume rainwater and spring water because it is, it is, it is natural and it is a, a living cell water. So even the water itself is living. And that just makes when you and when you're fermenting with a living celled water, you almost create a bit of a superfood there as well. And that's another really valid reason why we use spring water versus a filtered tap water because it is it is a living celled water. And just like David Wolf said, yeah, it's water is incredibly vital. It's really really important. And so that's for us, it's it's a big priority with our kombucha um, to make sure we get a really good water source that's that's clean. Mm. You've made me want to drink both spring water from now on and nothing else. And you've also made me want to go out and buy some of your kombucha. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, piqued my desire for those two things. It's very hard to get spring water. I don't feel like buying spring water in bottles either. It just feels like that's a that's sort of a two-step forward. And then you've got this recycling and, and, and sort of carbon footprint yeah. issue with buying bottled water. Is there a solution that you could suggest for that? I'm sorry, I don't think I've got a solution to that because, you know, this is, we're living, we are, you know, modern men and modern women and, and we're living in cities and suburbs and towns and that, that we've constructed and we've constructed this environment around us and it's, it is far removed from how we were traditionally living hundreds of years ago. Uh, and so the source of spring water is, it's not there like it used to be. So I don't know if I've got a simple solution, but mm. one thing that's actually just come to mind would be rainwater. Um, rainwater is, is probably the next best thing. So um, obviously that would need to be filtered to a certain degree for sediment, et cetera, if you're collecting rainwater, if you're living in the suburbs or, or in the city metropolitan area. But Consuming rainwater would be would be better than a, a, a treated dam water or treated tap water for sure. I feel, and, and maybe that would be the next the next best thing. If you can get spring water and you can find, there are companies out there. I, I mentioned the one that we purchased from Wild Walgan. He actually sells his water in bulk, and, and there's a few companies that do that as well, where you can do a home order in bulk, maybe in in bulk containers and stuff, and and that could be um, more more environmentally friendly more feasible and a good way to get your spring water as opposed to just getting, you know, slabs of bottles or something. Because mm, they, they probably do a rotational thing, right? They'll probably show up, take yes. your empty container, put a new container in. And so the containers have been rotated as opposed to being constantly thrown into recycling centers. Yeah. He, um, the, mm. the owner of Wild Wogan, he does pride himself on being environmentally friendly and as minimal impact as possible. And, um, yeah, he loves that rotation and he, he does do that. 
Yeah, I like that. We might look into that. Uh, it's probably the one area that we've paid little attention to over the years. I used to drink a lot of alkaline water and I just found that I ended up confusing myself too much around the timing of drinking alkaline water because as you well put it before, we want to have a very acidic stomach. But if you're drinking alkaline water for the purposes of alkalizing pretty much everything in the body except your stomach and your blood, all the other fluids in our body, it's hard to alkalize those without, you know, alkalizing the stomach. And so then you're you're creating a, a counterproductive impact. So I used to always try and drink alkaline water late at night when I wasn't digesting food and I wasn't about to digest food. But then you're up at night going to the bathroom. And it's hard. You're always trying to time this alkaline water sort of consumption. So I ended up just reverting back to tap water years and years ago. And um, I'm not totally satisfied, especially after speaking with you and, and becoming more enlightened. Yeah, yeah. With the, with the alkaline water, um, I don't know, and this is, I guess, a question, is it, is it alkaline forming or is it, um, or is it just uh, an alkaline food? It's alkaline going in. So it's, you can measure the pH of it. On the, on the bottle, it says the pH of this water is, and it's like, you know, instead of it being 7.1 or whatever water is, 7.4 or whatever, it's, it might be 8 or in some cases as high as 9. So, you know, right. given, remember that an order of magnitude for each, the pH scale is logarithmic. So, yes. like, that's, that's a lot more alkaline than, than typical water. It sounds, it sounds like the, the overconsumption of that particular water, if, if, if what you're saying is true, it sounds like it's actually going to throw the pH balance off in the stomach and it may not necessarily be the best thing um, mm. for, for health. Because mm. um, one thing, um, like I've had several friends that say to me, oh, I've got acid reflux and heartburn. And through experience, personal experience, as well as for my friends, the first thing I say to them is I, I say, well, I'll squeeze you half a lemon, so you've got fresh lemon juice and a little bit of warm water. And what that is, it's going to be acid entering into the stomach, but it is alkaline forming. And so it, that actually very quickly balances out the stomach and puts mm-hmm. it back in the stomach, back into acid where it's supposed to be. And it, and it actually takes away the, the heart burning indigestion. Um, mm. and, and something as simple as that actually works really, really well. Um, you could also use an organic ACV. Um, with a little bit of warm water, and that works just as good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, beautiful. The old ACV, another thing that's been yeah. around forever. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it has, really cider. has. Yeah, apple cider vinegar for those people who uh, aren't down with it, y'all. Um, <laughs> <Yeah. so, laughs> well, thank you very much. This has just been a very chilled, very calm, you know, enjoyable chat with you about these thank wonderful you. foods. Uh, thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, covering this off. It's something I've not talked about before on one of our episodes. And, um, I don't think I've ever, like, I feel like I have nailed, locked in the sauerkraut, no questions asked, wonderful, eat it a lot, boom, tick, ticket, live my life. Kombucha, I'm still yet to consume your kombucha, which I'm hoping is going to be that aha moment where, you know, I don't, feel anything other than healthy, good consumption in the stomach, feel light, happy, no issues. Um, Because I think it's fair to say that for most people with rheumatoid, we got there because of digestive issues, or at least we had them, even if we didn't know them. 
And so whilst every other person might be able to consume, you know, virtually anything without problems, we always have these little, you know, residual, got to be careful with this, got to be careful with that. So I'm hoping that, you know, when I buy your kombucha, which I will do very soon, that uh, that gives me that, oh, wow, yeah, this is the, this is what I've been missing. And uh, I, I, yeah, I encourage, um, I encourage mm. your audience to, to try different varieties of fermented foods. Not every fermented food is going to work for you. It is every, it's very um, an individualistic approach. So, um, but just try it and, and yeah. see which, which works for you. Some people work really well with kombucha. Some people don't. It all depends. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, just, just give it a shot, you know? Okay. We'll do most definitely. I'll email you and let you know how can other people get in contact with you? I, I know that, you know, you don't want to feel just general kombucha questions from around the world, but if there's someone wanting to, um, you know, buy your products, I mean, they could ask at their local health food store, but perhaps you might even do supply locally in the Sydney metropolitan area. Where are we at with regards to that? If someone wants more from you in terms of your products, yeah. So we do ship um, around all the major cities and towns in Australia. Um, our website www.herbsoflife.com.au. We, we don't ship overseas. I'm sorry, but for the overseas listeners, yeah, just please take note if you're wanting to buy sauerkraut and kombucha. Take note of of what to look out for, basically, because um, yeah. there's a lot of stuff out there, but. Um, yeah, to, to our local Australians, yeah, we could um, our website we could ship to you. And there's also a range of, of health food stores um, that stock our, our stuff as well, um, Harris Farm Markets. So. Yeah, beautiful. And my local health food store is how I found out about you and they're a big advocate of, of your stuff and I gave them such good feedback about you and they said, oh, Daniel, he's the best. He's so good, blah, blah, blah. So we've, we built a connection down there too at the, at the store because of, of what you're doing. So thanks so much for uh, speaking with me today and thanks so much for sharing all this great information and for doing what you're doing. It's such a wonderful contributing kind of role that you have doing stuff that, you know, uh, it needs to be done. So thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.